we thank you that you have given us uh, just a community of other believers that uh, we don't have to to do this life alone, but you surround us with people that care for us, that pray for us, Lord, that uh, also are just on this journey with us, Lord. I pray that everything that was talked about here in this space, Lord, I just want to anoint those prayers and ask that you would receive them, Lord, that you would hear our prayers for each other and that you would honor those requests. Lord, your word says that, that when we ask um, in your name, you are faithful. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. Jesus, I, I thank you that you are a God who listens, that when we knock, you answer the door. Lord, that when we seek you, Lord, we will find you. God, would you be about our, our conversation today? Lord, we love you, we trust you, and we thank you so much for who you are. God, as our, our guys venture back from the mountains, Lord, I pray that you would, you would uh, keep them safe, Lord, of any hazards that could be between here and there. Lord, I pray that that time was just an encouragement to them, Lord. I pray that it would have filled their souls, um, Lord, with your truth and with your fellowship, Lord. I pray that as they return to their wives and their children and their homes, Lord, that uh, they would be able to live out the truth that you, you spoke to them. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for Anchor Church. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, welcome. I uh, had Greg earlier today ask me if uh, he needed to give a urine sample, so... <laughs> Um, and I said, if your urine looks like the water in this picture, I'm really concerned. Um, also, it's not Kool-Aid, uh, even though it kind of looks tasty. It is just water and some food coloring from my cabinets. So um, just to dispel any, any rumors that are floating around, but um, we'll get to this later. I wanted to start with, with this question, and that is, when you were growing up, who did you want to be like? And it's not a rhetorical question, like I want to hear them. <laughs> What'd you say? Reba McIntyre. <laughs> that is so wonderful. Uh, well, who else? Who did you want to be like when you grew up? My mom. Your mom, yes, that was a perfect answer. This is very sweet. Sundays, well, I don't know. What else? Who else did you want to be like? Superman? Batman. <laughs> Wait, you aren't Batman? <laughs> I thought you were. <laughs> What'd you say? No. <laughs> oh, mercy, that's for another day. Uh, so, so maybe you wanted to be like a teacher that you had growing up. Maybe somebody that you met at church. Maybe a friend or maybe like a wonderful grandparent or a parent. Um, me, I wanted to be just like my sister Erin. Um, I actually have a picture of us when we were growing up that's just proof of this. Um, yeah, I was cute. Um, and also, I was very aggressive with my love. 
Um, notice how she's trying to get me away. Like her front hand is like a claw, like please get off of me. And I'm just like, love me more. Um, I wanted to be just like Erin, okay? Erin, she still is, but she's my big sister. She's seven years older than me. And I wanted to be like her. She was so cool. Her friends were cool. And because she's seven years older than me, she was always at a cooler stage in life than I was, right? Uh, when I was seven, she was in middle school, you know? And I thought, man, how cool would it be to be in middle school? Now I understand, that's not that cool. Very smelly, not that cool. Um, when I was in middle school, I remember moving my sister into college dorms. And I thought, she's so cool, she gets her own room. Like, I didn't have my own room until she went to college because we shared rooms. That's how obsessed I was, okay? Um, but, but she got her own room. She didn't even live in the same town as my parents anymore. How cool is that? And I'm just in smelly middle school. You know, I, I even remember when I went to college, I thought I was so cool because I went to college. But she had to one-up me. She bought a house and had a kid. Like, I can't, I can't compete with that. And I always was just like, man, I want to be like Aaron. And the best part of this is that my mom supported it. <laughs> uh, when we were growing up, my mom made us clothing. Okay? You can see where this is going. Even though my sister was seven years older than me, we had matching outfits. I have a picture of one of them. <laughs> Look at us! I don't know if another, like, so, like, that is like the 90-est picture that I have um, in our acid-washed jumpers and my sister with a permed mullet. Yeah, thank God I wasn't always like her, right? <laughs> but I was probably like maybe three or four in this picture, and my sister was a full-grown middle school kid, and she had to match me. Like, I was really excited. This looks like a, a, a hostage situation for my sister, you know? Because I just so badly wanted to be like her. And when my mom made these outfits, I thought, it is attainable. And I, I think that even when we grow up, we have moments like this where we look at others and we think, I want to be like them someday. You know, especially with social media. Like, it does not take long to find somebody on Facebook that is cooler than you, or smarter, or prettier, or more fit, or more inspiring, or more successful. And you look at them and you're like, I gotta have that. I wanna be like them. You know, maybe if you're single, you look at Facebook and man, everybody's married, and everybody's engaged, and everybody's throwing these things. Maybe if you're married, you look at all the adventures that people go on and you think, where are you getting this money, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but you look at others and you say, I want to be like that. And today we are in week three of One Hit Wonders. And over the course of this series, we have been looking at very simple decisions that we can make to make a lasting impact in our relationship with the Lord. And today's challenge is, I don't know, it, it seems a little too simple, is to live like Jesus. And I don't know, when I was writing this sermon, it seemed like that was too simple and also too complex at the same time. Uh, and when I wrote this down, I thought, man, that is casting the broadest net possible. Well, let me explain what I mean. I think that there is a way to look at Jesus and say, how do I live more like him? 
Um, and there's a variety of things that, that we could do that would make us more like Jesus, right? You know, if you're like me, every single day I find another way <laughs> that I'm not quite like him and how I want to be more like him. You know, the sacrifices that he made. Uh, last week, Valerie talking about how he loved offensively and flipping tables, and I promise you, Andrew, I'm not going to spill this purple water on you <laughs> this week. Um, <laughs> but, but, but the things that he did, the love, like the miracles that he performed, like the demons he exercised, you know, like that, that was so cool. And there's all these ways that we can be like Jesus. But I want to focus on one specific way. I want to focus on how we live our lives. I'm like, no big deal, that's, not, that's just everything, but uh, how we structure our lives, how we structure our lives like Jesus, because Jesus had a really strong relationship with the Lord. He went and talked with him all the time. And I want a relationship like Jesus had with God, which is very confusing, because Jesus is God. But I want a relationship like that. And so what I want to look at today is how do I live a life, how do I structure my life to be in a relationship with the Lord like Jesus? So we're going to go in Mark chapter 1. And to give you some perspective, man, I keep walking over here and then there's like a roadblock. Uh, but, but in Mark chapter 1, if you look in your Bibles, you can kind of scan the headings just to see what happened before this. So in Mark 1, before this, there was uh, Jesus being baptized and tempted. There was Jesus finding his very first disciples. And then, right before this, there's a story of him casting demons out of a man. And then this happens. Verse 29. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them, which I love uh, because I'm somebody, like if I love somebody, I want to cook for them. You know, I don't know if anybody else is like that, uh, but I want to cook for them. And so she gets healed by Jesus, and she's like, okay, I got to go to the kitchen. <laughs> you know, I got to make you my famous lasagna. I don't know. Um, but, but I want to paint the picture of what happens here is that Jesus starts his ministry, and he starts it strong. He uh, goes toe-to-toe with some demonic forces, and he gets home, and he finds a sick mother-in-law. Now, uh, the sickness that she had, researchers believe, was a, what they called a burning fever. <laughs> And the burning fever in the Talmud was said to be a highly contagious fever that if you were going to cure it, you'd need to go through like seven different magical, mystical type rituals to heal. Things like mixing spices in wine and then drinking it and sitting on a, a street corner and, and talking about things and, and, and making sure that you're facing a certain direction, whether it was west or east, things that didn't make any sense. But they, they had to go through all of these things. And what Jesus does is vastly different. He doesn't grab the wine and the Talmud and all the things. He just sits next to her. He sits on her bed next to her, and he grabs her hand, and he says, 
You want to sit up? And she, it says that as she sat up, she was healed. All this complexity, and he said, let me help you up. And this is the first thing that we realize how Jesus lived, is that Jesus lived for others. He lived for others. Um, and I think that out of all of the population of the world, <laughs> he's the person who has lived for others the most, hasn't he? John 3.16, for God so loved us, you know, <laughs> that, that he was sent to this earth. You know, he came to proclaim freedom to the captive. He came so that we could be made right with God. He lived his entire life for others. And sometimes, like, man, confession time. I don't do that. <laughs> uh, there are some times that I live just for myself, where it's like all about my needs and my appointments and the things that I got to do and the places I got to be and the stuff that I have to afford and the things that I want. And it seems like there's this delicate balance because there are at times when I feel so self-centered and then other times it's like my whole life just revolves around everybody else. I'm like, I have to take care of this person. I have to go do this for them. I have to make sure that I call this person and do this this way. And don't even get me started. Like, if you have kids, holy cow, you know? How much of your life is lived for another person? Vaccines and basketball and rumors and friends and bullies and internet and all the things that entertain them? <sighs> I can't even imagine. You know, imagine if you take care of somebody in your life and their disabilities, and their quirks, and the things that just consume their lives, you live for them. And I struggle. I struggle with not being too focused on others. And also I struggle with being too focused on myself. And yet Jesus found the perfect balance. He found the perfect balance. Mark 12, verse 31. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And notice what this says, because I think we, we misread this sometimes. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. Not love your neighbor instead of yourself. Not love your neighbor and forget about yourself, but as yourself. What does that imply? That implies that my life has value, that my life has meaning and purpose, and that God loves me. And so when we, we're in a culture right now where we're talking a lot about self-care, you know, do the things that you love and take care of you. And I would say that that's a very sticky topic for Christians because we're called to live for others. But let me tell you this, is that you cannot pour out of an empty cup. You cannot overflow with the joy of the Lord unless the joy of the Lord has filled you up. And so when we say, man, you need to take care of yourself, you need to be healthier and stronger and com more compassionate and more patient, we do that because it brings us closer to Jesus, but also because it makes us better <laughs> at reaching out to others. Uh, Tim Chalice, he's a, a blogger, he wrote about this. He said, there is a balance we need to maintain 
And though it would be foolish to assign exact standards or ratios, it seems to me that this self-care should be enough to equip us to properly and dutifully care for others, but not so much that it tips over into obsession with ourselves or neglect of others. This kind of self-care should be aimed not just at personal fulfillment, but the fulfillment of our God-given duty to others. See, Jesus, he lived with boundaries. He said no to people. You know, he, he lived a life where, where he had time with the Lord. And imagine this, he had ever, the whole world was seeking after him. And yet still, he lived for others. This is why Sabbath is so important. And some of you guys are going to hate that I have to talk about Sabbath because you're not doing it, let's just be honest. But, but Sabbath, we're called to have one day a week where we rest. And let me tell you what, I have, I have Fridays um, if you haven't noticed, I don't respond to anything on Fridays. <laughs> um, I pretty much just like go off the grid on Fridays. Uh, but the reason I do that is not because I hate my job. It's not because I, I think that you guys are just so overwhelming and annoying. No, I love you guys. Like, let's be real. Okay, I love you guys. And it's not because I'm just at the end of myself. No, the reason I take a Sabbath is because when I meet with you, I want to be an encouragement to you. I want to be compassionate to you. And it's not just the pastor that needs to take a Sabbath. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> but it's you. Did you know that the Lord wants you to be an encouragement? He wants you to minister to the people around you. And you can't pour out of an empty cup. I mean, you can try. <laughs> Uh, well, tell me how it works out. <laughs> it probably will be not nearly as inspiring as you think. And so Jesus lived for others, but he made sure that he was right with the Lord, which brings me to the next part of this section. It says, that evening after sunset, so after the sun goes down, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he didn't allow them to speak. So just like, like go here with me. Jesus finally gets a moment where he can breathe. Okay, what happens when you get home from work or from errands, you know? I, you, don't, you probably don't need to know this about me, but it takes me from the moment I get to the threshold of my house, it takes me about 0.5 seconds to be in my pajamas, okay? <laughs> like, like you, could, you could blink and miss it, okay? Um, in 0.5 seconds, I'm in my PJs, I have my hair piled on top of my head, kind of like today, and I just am like, whatever, I'm home, I'm able to relax. And Jesus, he gets to this house, and he's reclining at the table. He's probably eaten something by now. And the doorbell rings. Man! Oh, I hate that, right? Whenever somebody comes to your door, like if they're walking around canvassing your neighborhood, are you ever excited to answer the door? Be real. No, we're not. We're not. We're not bad people. We just don't like that. And so he, this happens. Like he, he finally is relaxing, and then all of a sudden... And he looks out, and the whole town is outside of his door. The whole town. <laughs> okay? 
oh man, if this would have been me, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there in my shorts and my tank top and my zits and my hair and stuff, and I'm like, the whole town. Imagine what that would feel like. And this is what I want to notice about this moment, is that Jesus lived with huge demands, huge demands. A whole town gathered outside of his doorstep. Notice what he didn't do. <gasps> you know, he didn't do what I would have done. Pretended to not be home, you know. <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> you're getting a whole new view of your pastor this morning. But, <laughs> but, but he didn't do what we would want to do. He didn't roll his eyes. He didn't lecture them about boundaries. He didn't tell them to get lost. No, he rolled up his sleeves or his toga. I don't know, okay? <laughs> he rolled up his toga and he got to work. And he, he spent hours into the night casting out demons and healing people. This isn't easy stuff. Somebody showed up to your house in the middle of the afternoon and was like, hey, cast a demon out of me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, he lived with huge demands. And I think that sometimes we look at a relationship with the Lord and we're like, Jesus, you don't get it. My life is so busy. I don't have time to spend time with you. You know, when you said that we needed a relationship, you, you didn't have a car payment. You didn't have other things. You didn't have Netflix. You didn't have the things that I got going on right now. And whenever you have that temptation to think that Jesus doesn't know what you're going through, like just imagine this sound in the middle of the night. Like think about this. We have high demands on, our, on ourselves too. Well, like... And this isn't a rhetorical question either. What's the most demanding thing in your life right now? The kids, the three-year-old. <laughs> yeah, what else? School, what'd you say? <laughs> yes, wedding planning. <laughs> Did you say Melvin? <laughs> you, can, you can say that because he's not here this morning. I get it, I get it. <laughs> but we have big demands, don't we? And this is the key here, and this is the hard truth, is that the Lord wants you to show up to your biggest demands. He wants you to go to the door and open it. He wants you to roll up your sleeves. Man, and sometimes if I could just pretend like I'm not home long enough, maybe they'll just go away. They won't. No. And this is the most inspiring thing about this, is that that the Lord trusts you, that big, demanding thing in your life, he's placed it in your life because he trusts you. He's placed it in your life because he knows that you'll depend on him more. Ugh, ouch, that one kind of hurt. Okay, verse 35. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. Come on, okay? The guy was awake all night, healing and casting out demons, and he wakes up before the sun rises. <laughs> I know some of you guys are like, no, <laughs> I know where this is going, please no. Okay, but let's keep reading. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. This is really early on in his ministry. So his disciples wake up and they're like, he's gone. Where has he gone? Like, when they found him, they said, 
everyone's looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too. That is why I came. Jesus wakes up before everybody. And he goes up to an isolated place and he spends time with the Lord. This is my next point about this and how Jesus lived. Jesus lived on purpose. He had a mission that God had given him here on earth. And he still spent time isolated looking after that. He had secret prayer life. That blows my mind. He was God himself. And he still had secret prayer life. Charles Spurgeon, this quote wrecked me this week. It said, secret prayer is the secret of prayer. If you don't pray alone, you do not pray at all. I care not whether you pray in the street or in the church, but your heart must speak with God in secret, or you have not prayed. Secret prayer is a secret to prayer. There is nothing in this entire world that competes with pouring your heart out to God. I live with two really holy women, okay? And they inspire me and challenge me daily. But there is nothing compared to what Jesus says to me. Your spouse may be very holy, I don't know, or not, okay. Uh, but, but, But your spouse may be very holy. They are not Jesus. They are not the Holy Spirit. They cannot speak to you that way. And Jesus, he lived on purpose. I love this quote by Kevin DeYoung. He said, Jesus did not do it all. Let's get that quote up there. Jesus did not do it all. I'm going to read it one more time just in case for the people in the back. Jesus did not do it all. Sometimes we think we, we can, though. All right. Jesus did not do it all. Jesus didn't meet every need. He left people waiting in line to be healed. He left one town to preach to another. He hid away to pray. He got tired. He never interacted with the vast majority of people on the planet. He spent 30 years in training and only three years in ministry. He did not try to do it all, and yet he did everything God asked him to. You want to live like Jesus? Live on purpose. When was the last time that you said, Lord, what are you asking of me in this season? I think sometimes we talk to everybody. You know, I I saw something on Pinterest once that said, have you complained about it as much as you've prayed about it? And I thought, okay, rude Pinterest, number one. First of all, where do you get off? Um, but, but, But have we sought the Lord on what he's asking us to do right now. You know, it's funny. I have friends, and I have myself, and I can, I can talk about it for years. And then somebody will say, but what is the Lord wanting you to do right now? Well, I haven't had time for that. You know? (laughs) I'm talking to everybody. I'm too busy. But listen, there's a promise in Scripture in James, verse chapter 4. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. God's not keeping secrets from you. He wants you to have a life that is filled with purpose, 
that is filled with, with his Holy Spirit. He wants those things. And, and this word says, when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And Jesus did this very well. And actually, he said no a lot. And it was pretty easy for him because he knew what his purpose was. If you have problems telling people no, make sure you've resolved your purpose. So how do we, how do, we do this? How do we implement this into our lives? And I want to give three things that if they're not in your life already, they need to be in there like yesterday. Um, I would write these down. I would put these in your phone. I'd talk to them with, you, with your friends, with your family, with those that are closest with you, and I'd get these down. The first one is this, retreat. Retreat, okay? Say that with me. Retreat, okay? You didn't say it with as much power. Let's do retreat, okay? <laughs> but retreat, thank you. <laughs> uh, you have to retreat, and Lord have mercy, I stink at this, okay? I am an extrovert. I am an external processor, and also I just like people, okay? And I want to be around people all the time. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I went on a solo camping trip to seek God's vision for our church, and it was wonderful. It was anointed. It was beautiful. Oh my goodness, I was bored within like two hours, okay? <laughs> I was like, okay, but who do I have to talk to? Who can I talk to about this thing? By, by day three, I was vision casting to my dog. I'll be honest with you, okay? <laughs> by day three, I was like, I need to be around people again. But we have to take time to retreat, whether we enjoy it or whether we like it or not. You have to take time to retreat. Jesus took time to retreat. I think we can make time. Jesus had the entire world knocking at his door. We have to carve out time. We can't be too busy for that. We have to have that time away with the Lord. Matthew 11, verse 28. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Please note what it doesn't say. It does not say, Come to me, all of you who have time. <laughs> okay? It does not say, Come to me, all of you guys that have some extra minutes in your day. No, but come to me, those who are weary and burdened. Are you weary and burdened? He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Not come to me when you have time. Not come to me only when you have a big decision to make. Come to me when you are tired, when you are burdened. So a good question to ask yourself here is, when was the last time that you listened for his voice? Sometimes we can get so busy talking that we miss out on the fact that the Lord he responds. I would challenge you in this is that if you have a time where you pray every day, whether it's when, while you're driving to work or if you're washing your hair in the shower, I don't know. I don't need to know. Um, 
But whenever that is, also put in some time for him to respond. Imagine this, like if you had a a friendship with somebody and they came up to you once or twice a week, they said, okay, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need that, Uh, this is stressing me out, and why in the world did you give me that? Okay, bye. (laughs) Like at least give me time to respond, you know? We have to have that built into our life. When was the last time that you just listened? That you said, Lord, what do you say? Next one is this. Build a rhythm. Build a rhythm. I wanted to sing that, but we're not, I'm not going to put you through that. Um, this verse is one of my life verses because I am very good at getting busy, okay? Uh, Isaiah 30, verse 15. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. Is there a rhythm of repentance in your life? Is there a rhythm of quietness and trust? Now, I'm going to give a disclaimer. Not everybody is going to wake up before the sun comes up, climb a mountain, and listen to what Jesus has to say. Okay? I don't know where it came from, but in Christianity today, it feels like if, you don't, if you're not a morning person, you're probably not saved. Okay? That's not true. All right? I, I say this as an ordained reverend, and I don't throw that card around often. I am not a morning person, and let me tell you what, if I had to wake up before the sun got up and climb a mountain just to hear from God, he would not be getting words from me. It'd be grunts. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-mm. That would be the extent of my prayer life. But I will tell you that at at night, when I go into my bedroom, I could journal and I could read for hours. I could get lost in scripture and then realize that it's three in the morning and I have to be at work tomorrow. You know, that's just how I'm wired. Let yourself off of the hook for this. Your relationship with Jesus needs to be just as unique as you are. You know, if you're a night person, man, give him the best time that you have. If you're somebody that's like, if I, have, if I read the same exact portion of Scripture every single day, that will make me feel fulfilled. Do it! If you're like, man, if it doesn't have variety, if I'm not hiking one day and talking the next day and listening to a podcast, like, create that variety. A good question to ask yourself is, does your relationship with Jesus match you? Like, if somebody had a relationship with you, like, think about a friend in your mind. They have a relationship with you, not with, like, who you wish you were. No, they have a relationship with who you are. Does your relationship match you? Does it look like you? Do you build a rhythm that says, this is when I'm at my best, and I want to give Jesus my best? Last one. Focus on fullness. Focus on fullness. Romans 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow the confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
A really good way to say, to know if you should say yes or no to something, to know what you need to fill your life with is saying, is this filling me up? And don't get me wrong, there are times when we will sacrifice so that other people can know the Lord. But are you focused on being full of the Lord? I think that we have two different methods of this. One is that we say yes, and we say, Lord, fill me up completely. Have all of everything. Have my life, have my decisions, have my priorities. Have some of my time every day. Or we say this. We say, Lord, I'll go to church. I'll read every once in a while. I'll post some Christian things on social media. I'll do the stuff that you need me to do. But the rest of it is mine. Now, if I asked you which cup do you want to be, I think it's very obvious that you're like, I want to be the full cup. Let me tell you why this is important. This is important because when God starts to move, guess which cup is actually going to overflow on other people? It's not the half-empty one. If you want your life to impact those around you, if you want people to experience the hope of Jesus, it's not going to happen from this cup. I could probably shake it pretty good. And this cup would just not know what to do with what's in its life. No, you need to retreat. You need to build a rhythm. You need to build a time where every single day you say, Lord, fill me up. Fill me up to the brim. So that when when you move, my life just spills out. Jesus, I want my life to overflow. God, I want my life to inspire other people. Lord, I want people to know you because of my life. It starts with deciding that I'm going to live like you. I'm going to live a life that has the structure that you had. Lord, a life that's not too busy to retreat. Jesus, a life that is wholly surrendered and I build a rhythm that I'm not sleeping on the top of my Bible, but I'm looking into your word. Jesus, I want to take ownership of my relationship with you. As we, we end with this song, I want you to take a time to reflect and say, Lord, where am I missing this? Because when we say, when we seek after the Lord, he draws near to us.
blood upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail, and there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. Savior, I will call. 
trust you. Jesus, we trust you with our time. We trust you with our schedules. Lord, we trust you with our priorities. Lord, we trust you with the thing that is the most demanding in our lives right now. God, and we also trust that you have given us the ability to be good stewards through your Holy Spirit of our lives. God, may we live like you. Lord, if we can't remember the last time we retreated, God, I pray that you would give us a moment and that we would make time. Lord, if our relationship with you, Lord, if it, if it doesn't look like who we are, if it doesn't fit who we are, Jesus, I pray that you would give us a new way of spending time with you. Lord, and I pray that we would be filled with over, to overflowing. God, that our lives would, would be so full of your truth and of your grace and of your power that when you move, we spill over and we show that, strength, that same strength and truth and power to those around us. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much, and it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. <laughs>